Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Thanks for joining me for episode 12 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. My guest today has been with Ring of Honor almost since its inception. He's been in the ring for the biggest and most memorable matches in the company's history. And to top it off, he's undefeated as a wrestler in ROH. He is senior referee Todd Sinclair. Todd, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. How are you? <laughs> Very good. So I have to ask you the first question about quarantine, which is uh, other than growing a cool, scraggly beard, what have you been up to? <laughs> I wouldn't call it cool. It is straggly. It's definitely not cool. Uh, but yeah, uh, I just, I'm, honestly, I have been quarantining for, what are, what are we at, four months now. Um, I, uh, I have, a, I'm an asthmatic. So I, to me, I have a risk to, to getting this, you know, Corona. Um, so I'm, I've been staying in the house. I, I, the only places I've gone, I've gone to the grocery store a couple times. I went to Target once. And, uh, and other than that, I, I really haven't, I, I'm not even really, I haven't seen and conversed with any friends or, or family in person since March 14th when we left Vegas Wow. Uh, to come home. And it's, it sucks, but that's the life we're in, you know, that's where we're at. So I'm doing what's right for my health and, and for other people's health. Uh, so yeah, that's what I've been doing. Wow. So man, you are a hardcore quarantine. I, that's, that's, that's rough. I didn't know that you were asthmatic. My wife also has uh, asthma. So I know the risk involved. Unfortunately, she's a nurse and she works in a hospital oh, and, and treats um, patients who have, who have tested positive. But yeah, I know that that could be a scary thing for sure. So it is, it is good that you're really keeping your distance. So yeah, thank your wife for doing what she does. That's it's amazing. That is an amazing thing. Absolutely. I, she's uh, I'm, I'm very proud of her for sure. Um, well, let's keep this on. I, I, before we move on, I, I want to keep this on the beard, okay? Is there any chance when we do get back to running shows that you'll keep it? Because I have, Todd, it does make you ruggedly handsome. I, I disagree with that totally. Oh. I think it's hideous. But the good <laughs> thing about it is nobody's seen me in four months other than when I'm on the uh, the week-to-week, ROH week-to-week. You can see me there. But uh, That's where yeah, I saw no, it. Yeah, I, I, I really, I mean, I don't like the look of it. I actually don't mind the feel. Like, it, it doesn't, it's not itchy or anything. Uh, but I figure this is the per- perfect time to grow it. But, <laughs> yeah, once, once we get back in the ring, this, this thing's coming off for sure. Uh, well, I'll be honest. When I saw you first pop up on uh, ROH Week by Week, which uh, uh, airs every Monday, by the way, with Quinn McKay on YouTube, um, I didn't recognize you. At first, I was like, I, I, don't be insulted by this, okay? But I thought... What was his name? Jake the Milkman Milliman. Remember him? Yeah, for sure. I thought he made a comeback, but like hadn't aged in 30 years. Right. Here it is, 2020, and he finally made it. (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to talk plenty of wrestling today, obviously, but I want to touch on a couple of other topics before we move on to the the meat and potatoes of this. So first off, let's talk music, okay? Specifically, your love for the band Baby Metal. Now, for the uninitiated, can you explain who Baby Metal is and, 
and how big a fan you are of them. Uh, Baby Metal is a Japanese um, heavy metal band mixed with J-pop. Uh, so they call it kawaii metal, which I, kawaii apparently is cute in Japanese. Um, but really what it is is some heavy, heavy, heavy music combined with the pop vocals of, of you know, 20-year-old Japanese girls, but also they have choreography. So if you watch them in concert, if you go online and watch some of their shows, um, the, the girls have choreography that they dance to this metal, and it's such a weird, weird mix. But to me, it works so well. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of it. The, the second I saw it, it was it blew me away. The second I saw it on YouTube, it blew me away. And uh, I've I've seen them, I think four or five times, just in different places around the country because we're lucky enough to travel. Um, but it, it it's it's weird. It's definitely weird, and it's 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 maybe an acquired taste. But I think it's fantastic stuff. I I'm a huge fan. Have you ever seen them in Japan? Because I know you've been to Japan for ROH uh, tours over there. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, it just hasn't worked out where the, the schedules worked out. But I did, luckily enough, not this last uh, Vegas trip where we started the quarantine, but the one in at the end of the year last year, Baby Metal came to Vegas right like two days after our shows in Samstown. So I stuck stuck around and stayed there and seen them in Vegas. Uh, but yeah, I haven't seen them in Japan yet. So I was not uh, familiar with Baby Metal, but uh, have you heard of Poppy? I have not. Okay. If you dig baby metal, you would dig Poppy. She's basically the American version. It's not a group. Poppy is, is just one person. But yeah. she basically does the, I guess, the American version of, of baby metal. Um, it's, nice. it's very like Poppy, but <laughs> Poppy. Poppy is very pop music oriented. But then right. it gets like into this like thrash and, and speed metal. Um, I got into it, my, my 15 year old daughter, I discovered it through her. And so I started listening to it and it is, it's the same genre as baby metal that you love. And it, mm -hmm. and it hooked me. I took my daughter to see Poppy twice. Uh, one time at stage AE in Pittsburgh where, where uh, we run our shows and I enjoyed it. I think every bit as much as my daughter did. I think I'm now the world's oldest uh, Poppy fan, but I suggest if you like baby metal, you should definitely check out Poppy. And it's very, oh. it's, it's like, um, maybe not quite as, uh, I think it's a little darker maybe. I don't, I'm not real familiar with baby metal, but, but she's kind of like a female Marilyn Manson. Okay. Yeah. yeah I'll check that out for sure. All right. Well, Hey, if we, if we haven't learned anything, we, we've educated people on baby metal and Poppy. So we've already done a good thing today. That's it. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> So the other thing I wanted to touch on before we get into wrestling is sports. So who's the biggest fan of Boston sports? Is it you, Bobby Cruz, or Matt Taven? Or is it a tie? Uh, well, it's, it's definitely not me if you, if you call Boston sports, because I'm actually only a hockey fan. Okay. So I, I, can't, I can't qualify for a big fan of the other teams. I grew up loving the Celtics, you know, when Larry Bird played, and I, I love the Patriots and Red Sox when I was growing up, but – as I got older, I, I kind of just lost my interest in those sports, and I only like the hockey. So I, I'm a huge, huge Boston Bruins fan. So I'll cross my name off the list as the biggest fan. Um, but I would say – I'm going to say Bobby Cruz. And the reason why I say that is because 
he he is uh, very attached to specific players. So he loves the Boston teams, but he also loves his you know his favorite players on the team. So just to, for an example, his favorite Red Sox player is Dwight Evans. So whenever he gets the chance uh, to see to go to an autograph signing of, of Dwight Evans, he'll go see him. Or he's gone to games. He he has a side job. Like his main his main job during the day is uh, he's a, a a sales rep for Budweiser. So sometimes, as a reward for selling beer, he gets to go to the Red Sox game in one of the luxury boxes, paid for by Budweiser, and he like sets himself up so every game they have a Red Sox legend come to visit and he makes sure that the Dwight Evans game, whenever Dwight Evans is going to be the visitor, he gets to go to that game. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I, he talks all the time about the Patriots and uh, he's a Bruins fan, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say Bobby Cruz and that's not to disregard Pavin's love for Boston sports, but I right. go with Bobby Cruz. Does, uh, does Dwight Evans, is he aware of Bobby? Is he like uh, get a, get a restraining order or anything like that? Or? He, I, yeah, you know, he probably does, but uh, <laughs> I don't think it's public. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's got to know. Cause, and I actually, I saw, I was uh, streaming with Bobby Cruz on uh, FaceTime the other night and in his man cave in the background, he has like a road sign that says Dwight Evans way or something up on his wall. Like he's, he's so addicted to Dwight Evans. It's wow. Crazy. That is hardcore. Wow. <laughs> I think maybe Jim Rice or Fred Lynn or. Yeah. Dwight Evans had a good career. All right. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with Dwight Evans. I I mean, I think Dwight Evans is a fantastic player. Absolutely. Dwight Evans played a year for my uh, Baltimore Orioles. I think he was here for one season near the end of his career. But uh, certainly Dwight, much more identifiable as a a member of the Boston Red Sox. So so you're not really into that. So all the championships that the Patriots have won, that the Red Sox have won, you really haven't participated. Like you haven't felt a part of that. No interest. Absolutely no interest. Wow. I, I actually go to my brother's uh, house uh, to watch the games with him and my nieces. And I don't care if the Patriots win or lose. I have no, just no like attachment to them at all. But <laughs> I, I'm so, I'm so attached to the Bruins that in 2011, when they went to the finals against Vancouver and won the cup, I went to game six in Boston and then I hopped on a plane the next morning and I went to game seven in Vancouver when they won the cup. Wow. Okay. Yeah. See, I, being a Baltimore guy, um, we didn't have hockey. I mean, we had the Washington Capitals down the road, but you know anything right. about Baltimore sports fans? We don't really like to root for the Washington teams. So, like hockey. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't blame you. Yeah, I couldn't name you five hockey players right now. I, I like Ovechkin. I know is one. Yeah. Um, and I think that might be it for me. I don't know that I could yeah. name a second. <laughs> it's got to be tough, like if you don't have a hometown team to to, yeah. to really get into the sport. I mean, we had minor league teams, you know, but like the Skipjacks and the Clippers, but uh, yeah, no, no, no pro teams, no, 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 no major national hockey league teams. Anyway. Yeah. It's a shame because to me, it's the, my favorite sport. I think it's the best. It combines so many things. All right. Well, we'll have to agree to disagree on that. Cause I'm not a hockey guy <laughs> at, at, at all. I just don't get it. I've tried to watch it. Uh, went to a couple capitals games, just not for me. So I guess I'll scratch my next question off here, which was going to be, uh, what your thoughts were on the Patriots signing Cam Newton. But obviously you just – you don't give a damn, do you? I don't care. I don't care that he signed. I don't care that Tom Brady left. I just don't – I have no I no attachment at all to it. You know, Matt Taven's listening to this. You're breaking his heart right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I have no problem breaking his heart when it comes to that. 
All right. Well, let me ask you then about fantasy sports. Are you into fantasy sports? Do you, do you, I, I guess if you're not into football, you're probably not into fantasy football. I don't play anything, but I do play fantasy hockey. I, I've, we've played, I'm in a league, a fantasy hockey league that I think has been around since 2000. There's um, actually fantasy hockey. I've never even heard that before. There is. I mean, but it's, it, you know, it's no different. You start your, your, you know, your starting lineup and then you, you know, get points for goals, assists, hat tricks, power play goals. Um, you know, it, it, we keep it pretty simple. We don't get into all kinds of things like plus minus and stuff, but then you have goalie scoring. It's, it's, I don't think it's any different than football, but I've never played it. So I don't know. Huh. Okay. Well, I understand this is a little bit of breaking news here. Um, you are going to participate in a, in a ring of honor centric fantasy draft. Is that correct? I am. I actually saw uh, the graphic this morning. Uh, so I was very excited. This is, this is the brainchild of Bobby Cruz. Bobby Cruz came up with this idea. So I'm, yeah, I'm so, kind of excited. So what this is going to be is it's called the, I think we're calling it the uh, ROH all-time or the all-time ROH draft of honor, which is basically just what it sounds like. Um, it's you, Bobby Cruz, Caprice Coleman, and Ian Riccoboni are going to draft uh, an ROH roster. And, it, and everyone's eligible from current talent to – all the old talent uh, that's been through Ring of Honor over the past 18, 18 years. Uh, yeah. so it's going to be cool. I'm looking forward to this. Have you started organizing your draft board yet? I haven't, but I, I, I know my first, my top two. I know, I know who I would pick if, if, if I get the number one pick, and, but then also if, if the second person lasts till the second round. I know my first two, but other than that, I, I actually haven't put, done any preparation yet. So I, I've got to start doing that this week. Yeah, I would say you don't want to come into that unprepared because I, I, I'm guessing since this is Bobby's brainchild, he's going to come in with like a list of like 80 names or 100 names. And I oh, could just see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's probably got them ranked and he's probably, you know what he's probably done? He's probably had magnets created so he could have a magnet board and just move them up and down during the day as he thinks of, oh, okay, I think this guy needs to be above this guy or something. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, that's going to be uh, – so for all the fans out there listening, keep, keep an eye uh, out for that on ROH's social media. Um, I know that's going to be happening soon. Not sure of the exact date yet, but that's something I'm definitely looking forward to. The all-time ROH draft of honor. Well, we're going to have to take a quick break here. Uh, we've gotten our music and sports talk out of the way. We're going to come back and talk a lot of wrestling with ROH senior referee Todd Sinclair right after this. Hi, I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Monday, the same day as this podcast, as we catch up on all the groundbreaking ROH news and get some exclusive comments from some of your favorite stars. We also have some really great weekly segments like Question of the Week and my personal favorite, the Week by Week Physique. Join me every Monday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash Ring of Honor for Week by Week. We are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is senior referee Todd Sinclair. Todd, obviously we're going to talk a lot about your uh, career as a referee, but I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the one and only match that you've had in Ring of Honor. It took place at – it took place on, yes, we're going to go there. It took place at Unauthorized last year. It was you, Ian Riccoboni, uh, Gary Juster, Gator the Cameraman, and Colt Cabana against – Brian Johnson and Shane Taylor's crew, which was SOS, and Ron Hunt. Everybody from here on out is going to learn 
that it's Mecca versus everybody. Okay, you can be on that team. Yeah, you're on that team. And uh, uh, we'll take time. Yeah, here you go, time. Yeah, come on. Uh, not a problem. Who's gonna rap? Come on, here. <laughs> Look at the tight trap! Tight at the tight trap! <laughs> but what happened was, for those who didn't see it, uh, Brian Johnson, as, as he often does, he pissed everybody off on his side, and it basically turned into a handicap match. And one of the highlights in that match was you doing a Ricky the Dragon steamboat-like leapfrog and chop spot. Tell me about that experience. And Cole with a cheap shot. Todd shoots it off. What? What? It's Todd the Dragon Sinclair. Are you kidding me? That was a lot of fun, but it was something leading up to it for weeks because this was uh this show was booked by Cole Cabana for weeks knowing like he had this idea and he wanted me to be in a match I wanted no part of it for <laughs> so long um because I I just my main thing is look I'm a referee I don't I don't want anybody to be bumping for me I don't want any wrestler to sell anything I do because I don't think that's believable um so I, I was kind of dreading for the whole two weeks leading up to this thing, dreading it because I didn't want to do any of that stuff. Um, but then I had, I was trying to think, um, what can I do? What, what, what do I know I can do from my previous training? Because back in the day I, I trained to wrestle. Uh, when I signed up for wrestling school, I never wanted to be a wrestler. I wanted to be a referee. That was my goal and my dream. Um, but I, I, when I signed up for wrestling school, I actually learned how to wrestle. I did everything that I was physically capable of doing in the wrestling ring so I could learn to think like a wrestler and, and, and be prepared for my, my career as a ref. So I at least have the knowledge of, of, okay, what can I do? What do I know how to do? And my, my thought was, okay, if I'm going to do anything to a wrestler, it's got to kind of be defense. You know, it's got to be, it's got to be on the, on the side of, you know, I'm not going to pick a body slam a wrestler. I'm not going to, you know, headbutt him and him sell or whatever. Right. So I figured the, the best thing I could do was a leapfrog to him. Now, you know, I'm a bit heavy. I don't know if anybody knows that. I'm a, I, I've got a little bit of a weight problem, um, but I do know that I can jump. For some strange reason, I can jump even, even though I'm a little heavy. So I figured the best thing I could do was, was you know, defensively jump over a wrestler and and at least get something out of there and then when he when brian had come back i you know i had pitched the idea when brian had come back off the ropes after i leapfrog i go look i'm gonna double chop you um because that's I, something i think a, re a referee could do yep. but please 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 do not sell it like that was the most important thing to me um because i didn't want him as a wrestler to be able to sell something from a referee because technically he could kick my ass, totally right. kick my ass. Right. Um, so the main thing I wanted to do was um, throw the chop and then get excited and not realize that it had no effect on him. So uh, that was my pitch to Colt and to Brian. They liked it. So we, you know, we went for it. And then, then there was the idea of Colt hitting uh, Brian from behind. So I could actually think when I turned around, that Brian actually took this big bump and died because I had chopped them, but it was actually Colt who did it. Um, 
Right. Which so, I think made it even more entertaining because yeah, you're, you're like going crazy doing the, the karate chops and like really playing to the crowd with your back turned to Brian, as you, who, as you said, is not selling it. And then Colt right. kind of lays one in on him and you turn around and you're like, wow, look what I did. Todd thinks he did it! Which made it yeah. even, even better. Were you prepared? Did You had to know the crowd was going to pop when you did that leapfrog and the chops. Like, yeah, I mean, I thought I would get a reaction because no one would ever, ever, ever see it coming. Like, that was, the, that was like, no one's going to ever think I could do this. So I knew it would get some kind of reaction. It got a really big reaction, which I didn't expect. Uh, but, yeah, I knew people would at least enjoy it. That was my most important thing to me was, you know, okay, he doesn't sell, but also I want the fans to at least have fun during this. And that's why Colt booked the match. So, uh, yeah, I think people enjoyed it a lot more than I expected, but I was glad they did. So let's go back to uh, really the very beginning before you got into the business. At what age did you become a fan and, and uh, how did you become a fan? How did you discover pro wrestling? I know we all have a story. What's your story? Uh, I was about, I, I, I'm very bad with dates. So I'm going to say it was about 1980, 1981. Uh, I was, so I was about six or seven. And uh, I was playing in the neighborhood with, with one of the kids in the neighborhood. I don't even remember the kid's name, but we were, you know, you're we out riding bikes or whatever in your neighborhood. And we went over to his house because he had to go get a drink or go to the bathroom or something. So we went in and walked into his kitchen. And when we walked into his kitchen on the, on the counter was a TV when it was small, probably black and white because it was 1980. Um, well, 1980, Ty. Come on, it wasn't 1960. You should, yeah, everybody yeah, had a but, color but, TV in 1980. No, then. yeah, but not not the TVs in the kitchen. Oh, that's true. Yeah, everybody, everybody had a color TV in their living room. You know, right. one of those nice nice console TVs with the wood built yeah. around it. You know, <laughs> right. Um, with the four channel. But, but right, but this TV was you know probably seven inch TV. It had to be black and white because it was one of those kitchen TVs. So uh, when we walked in. I don't know who it was, one of his family members, but they were watching wrestling. They had wrestling on the screen and I had never seen it. And I remember for sure that it was Pedro Morales against Magnificent Morocco. That was the first match I ever saw. I walked in and saw that and I was blown away because I had never seen anything like it. And I wanted to watch more. So the second I got home, I told my dad, look, I, whatever, this is wrestling. I don't know where it is on TV, but we need to find it, and I need to watch this. And I was hooked immediately when I saw that. Yeah, I was about the same age. I'm a little bit older than you, but I was like six years old, too, when I discovered it. Um, and I didn't discover anything that great like Morocco and Pedro. Wow, like I re that, that was a great feud over the Intercontinental title back in the day. I just discovered the, the squash match format. You know, I grew up, as I said, in Baltimore. And it used to air on the UHF station at four o'clock on Saturdays. And uh, it was all squash matches. But for some reason, I just saw it, fell in love with it. And, you know, here we are all these years later, both of us, you know, still being fans and, and, and being fortunate enough to get to work in it. So, yeah, it's, it's so like crazy to find something that, that grabs you that way. And then to, you never fall out of love with it. You know, I've never fallen out of love with wrestling and, and also to be able to just be a part of it is crazy. I never thought I could do that. And it was, you know, how lucky are you, right? Absolutely. Who's got it better than us as uh, well, that's, 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 that's an NFL reference, but you're not an NFL. That's my, my <laughs> uh, John Harbaugh, the Ravens, but you don't care. So I'll, I'll move on. <laughs> uh, so 
when you were younger, I know that you, you're obviously as a referee now, senior official, you're all about upholding the rules. But when you were a young wrestling fan, did you gravitate towards the good guys or the bad guys? Mostly the bad guys. Um, wasn't wasn't a hundred percent. One of my favorite wrestlers when I was a kid was Jimmy Snuka, um, and I think I think he was a heel the first time I maybe saw him, but he was a babyface shortly thereafter. Um, but even then, I loved Jimmy Snuka, and then Roddy Piper smashed him in the head with a coconut, and I was all about Roddy Piper. Yes. So it was it wasn't a hundred percent heels, but I did enjoy the heels a. A, a little bit more just because they got to do maybe got to do the things that a normal person wouldn't be able to do or you know they were more flashy and and, and arrogant but yeah I, I didn't have a, a favorite in that feud I was all about both guys but yeah when I saw Piper hit Snooker with a coconut fantastic moment absolutely I- iconic for sure were there any um okay let me ask you this when did you decide that uh I'd like to do this for a living. And were there ever any, did it ever cross your mind that, I mean, I think, I don't know. I know at least with me, I wanted to be a wrestler when I was younger. Then I realized, eh, probably not for me. Uh, I don't see myself getting in there and taking bumps or whatever. Um, But you, when you decided you wanted to be involved, was it always as a referee or did you ever have those dreams of being in the ring as a wrestler? Always referee and never, ever wanted to be a wrestler. I, uh, for some reason, even young, when I was young, I would, I would gravitate to the ref as far as I would know the ref's name. I, would, I wouldn't focus 100% on them, but I would actually watch some of the things that the referees did in the, in the matches. Uh, and I don't know why. It was just something that, that lured me in. Uh, so when the, the opportunity to, to do this, and, and I didn't say, okay, I'm going to make a living at wrestling. Like, that wasn't my decision. It was okay, I, this is the, the actual story of how I get into this. Okay, I'm at a wrestling show with my friends, an indie wrestling show. I know of someone that we knew from going to ECW shows, this is after ECW had ended, is now wrestling. He's wrestling on the show. So at intermission, he had come out to say hello to us in the crowd. One of my friends who knew I liked referees said, why don't you have Todd referee your match? And after they completely talked me into it, because I didn't want to do it, and I don't like public speaking or getting in front of crowds, I was scared crapless, <laughs> but they talked, they talked me into doing it. So I paid for a ticket to go to an indie show, and at intermission, they talked me into wrestling, wrestling and I refed a, ma- a, a match later in the show with no training. Wow, was- that is, that's a great story. I've never heard, I've heard a lot of stories over the years about the wrestling business. I've never heard of someone buying a ticket and then ending up in the ring in, in that, in any capacity, really, unless right. it's, you know, guest ring announcer or something like that they have sometimes for fans, but to actually be involved like that, that is amazing. And it, it gave, luckily them convincing me to do that gave me the, the confidence to go try it because I, I had no confidence. There was no confidence to say, Oh, this is something I can do. I don't want to, you know, the, the wrestling school that was around me in, in Boston was killer Kowalski's. The idea of going into Killer Kowalski's wrestling school scared the crap out of me. <laughs> so it wasn't anything that I thought to ever pursue. And then once I did it that night, they, I said, oh, wow, I can actually do this. This is something I can, I can try. And then right at that time, the chaotic wrestling school 
opened like within a month or two from that moment. And I, I went there instead of going to Kowalski's because I was still terrified of Kowalski for no reason. Cause I, I met Kowalski shortly thereafter and he was the sweetest man in the world. But I, uh, I was terrified of him at that point. Yeah. Well, as well, you should be, as I said, I'm a, I'm a little bit older than you. So I remember killer Kowalski was, he was slowing down. He was near the end of his career, but he came in for one last run in the old WWWF when Bruno San Martino was champion. Uh, yes, I am that old. I, I actually go back. That <laughs> um, and he was, he was one of the, again, I gravitated towards the bad guys, but killer Kowalski like scared me. He was literally yeah. a scary dude. And then once you, you get older and you get smart to the business and such, you hear that Walter was just the nicest guy in the world. Like couldn't have been more of a sweetheart. And uh, the nicest. And you like, you, you can't overstate it. Like he was so nice. It was yeah. crazy the difference between his, his persona in the ring and, and actually meeting him in person. It just shows how well he, he played the part. And it was, it was just, he was a bigger, he was a bigger guy, especially for that time. But he just, the, this body language, the way he would kind of like skulk around the ring and sort of like hunt his prey. And you, he had that claw, the stomach claw. I mean, I used to have nightmares about this stuff. Like I was like, man, how could, I used to be scared for Bruno, like getting in the ring with him. Like he's going to kill you, Bruno. But of course he never right. And apparently Bruno and Kowalski were really close in real life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So were there any referees? You said you mentioned the refs. Um, you, you noticed them. Were there any ones that you sort of, I don't know, not, not necessarily tried to emulate, but that caught your attention and maybe you took something from what they did and incorporated into your own style? Uh, not anything that I took into my style, but I, I really, really liked the uh, David Manning from world-class um yep. for some reason some reason in boston we got world-class on tv which was crazy so i got to see the von erickson stuff but david manning he, he was a personality you know so he sometimes like they say okay look there's a big match between kerry and, and rick flair tonight let's bring in david manning and get his thoughts so he had a bit of a personality that was out front um but some some reason just what he did in the ring and, and that that sort of stuff i he was my absolute favorite. He's my, he's my favorite of all time still. Uh, but he was my favorite when I was a kid. Like, I would watch him. But, uh, David Manning, I want to be like David Manning. Well, there's, you, you touched on something there, I think. Uh, it's, 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 it's a tough spot, right? As a, as a referee, you, you don't want to overshadow, certainly, the, the action that's going on in the ring. But when you develop your own style and you've been around a while and you're in important matches, you do sort of become, you're not just a nameless, faceless ref. Like, and I would put you in that category. Obviously, you've been in the ring for all the, a lot, so many of the major matches in, in Ring of Honor and you've been around for so many years that people, it's like, oh, Todd's in the ring. It's, it's a big deal. And I, I, I would say that like about Tommy Young and uh, Earl Hebner, um, I think are all guys like that. But talk about that a little bit, like the delicate balance between, um, you know, having your own distinct style and people do notice that it's you in the ring and not someone, again, who they may not know, but you don't want to step on what the wrestlers are doing. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing when it comes to refereeing, like my job as a referee is to enhance the story that the wrestlers are telling in the ring. That's my job. I, I, I'm not there to be the star. I'm not there to, to, to do my thing and get people to notice it. I, I'm there to, to make what they're doing 
if they, what they're doing is a 9.8, I make it a 9.9. .9. I add that little piece to move it up a little bit to add my, my enhancement to their match. Um, but the other way to look at, I, the way I look at refereeing is if you go, if you watch The Wizard of Oz, I think most of us know, know what The Wizard of Oz is. We've all seen The Wizard of Oz. Um, and when they're walking through the forest, you, you just see the scenery. There's the yellow brick road, there's the trees, there's the whatever, hay bay, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, an apple will hit Dorothy for no reason. Well, what the hell is that? Uh, and then you realize the trees move and they throw apples at her and they talk, but they were actually part of the scenery first and they only came out when they were needed. And that's the way I look at refereeing. You're part of the, the scenery. You're part of the background. You're, you're not supposed to be noticed until it's time, whether it's a three count or two, you know, close two count, checking for a submission, someone's cheating. But until it's time for you to step out of the background and into the foreground to help their story, that's the, that's the only thing you need to do. When you're done doing that, one, two, kick out, slide back into the background. And I think that's the art of what I do as a referee because I, I want to make their job easier. I want to make, you know, do as best I can for them, but I do not want to overshadow any of the wrestlers. That's the main, main thing. Understood. That, that's, a, that's a really great analogy, uh, sort of being part of the scenery and not coming out until you need to be involved. Um, so you were on the, I guess, the indie circuit in Boston for, what, a couple of years? I, I mean, you got to Ring of Honor pretty quickly, correct? How did that come about, that you got to have yeah. this opportunity in ROH? Yeah, it was about two years. I started training in 2001. Um, and then I started with Ring of Honor at the very end of 2003, but only in the, you know, dark matches and stuff like that. Um, I trained when I, where I came from, Chaotic, up in Boston. I trained at the same school as John Walters, who's a former ROH peer champion. And I had kept an eye on what Ring of Honor was doing as a fan. As far as I enjoyed what the matches they were putting on, I would, I would see the tapes that they were making and the shows they were doing. So I, I, you know, for me, a goal was to referee in Ring of Honor. So I, I would ask John Walters, who was driving to the different shows in Philly and, and New York, up, upstate New York and wherever else they went, if I could tag along. Like, that was the biggest thing. Like, hey, can I tag along, watch the show, but maybe meet somebody to see if I can get a chance at refereeing. So uh, I went with John to a Philadelphia show just to, to hang out. And then uh, we went to um, a show in, I think, Rochester, New York, New York, upstate New York. And Bobby Cruz was actually on the shows at the time because Bobby Cruz was doing the Carino intros, those long intros where he would name a hundred names and, and be annoying. Right, Carino's um, personal announcer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I went to the show in New York with them. And... Carino was during that whole thing, but also had like a group of three guys that he would bring to the ring. They would call the young boys and they would throw streamers for him and, and whatever. They were just accompanying him to the ring and they didn't have enough guys this night. So I was there hanging out and they needed a person. So Bobby introduced me to Carino and then introduced me to Gabe Sapolsky, who was booking at the time. And from there I did that, sh that spot on that show. Um, didn't referee. But then when I was leaving, uh, John had brought me back to Gabe and said, hey, look, he's a referee. 
in on the next show or any shows coming up, can he ref? So Gabe gave me a spot to referee a dark match in Edison, New Jersey, the very beginning of November of 93. And I did, I did that. I, and I, at that point it was like, okay, any show I can get to, I'm going just to get as many reps or just to keep on his, on his radar as I could. And I did that for a few months. And then the big, the big opportunity that I got was the second anniversary show, which was the pure title tournament. Um, John Walters was refereeing, uh, not refereeing, John Walters was wrestling CM Punk in, on that in the first round. And they had a finish. It was like a series of pinfalls and then, then Punk would hook John in something and it would be one, two, three. They had a series of, of false finishes and then the finish that John was confident that I could do it properly. So John went to Gabe and said, hey, look, I know he's only doing dark matches, but can Todd ref this match because we 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 want it to be done the kind of way we expect it so i got the shot there and then also another referee didn't show up that night or had a, another booking so i got other matches on that show so after i did the punk match with john punk, punk against john i did another match and then the second round was matt striker for the unibrow against aj styles <laughs> And uh, after that match, it was the third match I did that night. After that match, I came to the back and Gabe met me at the curtain. And he shook my hand. He says, you're my number one ref from here on in. Whenever you can get to shows, I need you to be there. Wow. And that, like, so I, you know, I earned my spot by showing what I could do, which to me was mind blowing. But Gabe understood what he wanted for his product and what he wanted for the, the type of wrestling that he did. And I, you know, it seems to me like I enhanced what Gabe was looking for along with what the wrestlers were trying to do. So I got, I came to the curtain and he shook my hand and I got the spot there. And then from there it was, you know, the rest kind, of, kind of, yeah, kind of number one spot from there on in. It was pretty great. You had mentioned one of those, you said 93, you actually meant 03, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Not 93 for sure. I, I apologize. I no, no, I, I'm, bad, I'm bad with dates. Yeah, well, I get, you know, as, as you get to be our age, Todd, with, again, you're not quite as old as me, but, you know, we're not young anymore. And the mind is the first thing to go. Yeah. So, yeah. End of 03 was the dark matches started. And then o, February of 04 was the second anniversary. There well, we it, go. It, it's amazing how um, things just kind of line up when they're meant to be. Like you mentioned that some ref didn't show up that night or something. So that made, uh, opened up more opportunity for you. Mandy Leone was on uh, last week's episode and she was talking about how women of honor first got an opportunity because there was supposed to be a dark match and one of the guys who was supposed to be in it didn't show up. And next thing you know, she's like, well, can we do a dark match, the women? And they're like, yeah, sure. And it went well. And then it led to more and more. So it's, it's like, it's a mixture of opportunity, but also talent. It's like, you've got the talent, but you just need that opportunity. And sometimes things just work out. So it sounds like another, a very similar story. It's just amazing to me how often little things like that happen. And it really changes the course of people's lives. So you should thank God that ref didn't show up that night. Yeah, I, I would I would have done one match that night and, and gone home and slept in my bed. <laughs> Who knows what would happen after that? 
Well, exactly. Well, I'm sure. But the thing is, obviously, I think talent does win out in the end. And I'm sure, you know, probably would have ended up right where you were. Um, but let me ask you a question I'm sure you get all the time and it's impossible to answer. But you have been in the ring for so many big moments, memorable moments in Ring of Honor. And I know you could probably sit here and name 100 things that that were great. But what are the ve- what are like the best of the best? If I say you, the, the greatest things you've been in the ring for at Ring of Honor, like what? What are the ones that immediately come to mind? Ah, it's so crazy. Like, I mean, the, the go-to, and there's no reason why it shouldn't be the go-to because it was an amazing moment, was uh, I got to ref Samoa Joe versus Kenta Kobashi. Yep. Um, that was an amazing night. I actually, if anybody who wants to go to YouTube, I actually did a watch-along on that match with Ian Riccoboni a couple months ago. And uh, it it was like that moment just to be able to, to be a part of that was insane. Like I just, something you just don't imagine. Um, so that's a big standout. I, I can say for sure my fa- the favorite match that I've had, and it's crazy to think that there's one that stands out among, I mean, it's gotta be over, th- you know, thousands of matches that I've refed here. Um, the one that is my favorite is uh, the anniversary last year, 17th, I guess. Or I, I'm again bad. I don't remember this stuff. But it was Taven, Matt Taven against Jay Lethal in yeah, the 16, one hour time right. on the draw. Right. Yeah, that was 17th um, anniversary. Yeah, and like that was, I to me that match had everything that like it had a story behind it. Uh, it had it had aggression. It had ups and downs throughout the match. It wasn't just an hour of of you know okay look we're gonna go an hour let's take our time for the first 45 minutes until then we'll really ramp it up. It wasn't like that at all. Uh, I, I just had everything that, that I love about pro wrestling in it. Uh, and when I, when I finished that match, like it just, I, you could, I felt a certain way that I, it, it's hard to describe, but like, it was just like, wow, that was, if, if anything is like, this is what pro wrestling should be. It was that match. So that was, to me, that's my favorite match. But I've, I mean, I've been with, to think of the people I've been in the ring with, you know, I've been in the ring with Japanese legends, Kenta Kobashi. I was in the ring with Masawa. And then I, then I refereed in the Tokyo Dome a few years ago. Then I was in the, I've been in the ring with Lethal, Taven, Punk, Samoa Joe, Brian Danielson, who was along with Lethal, Brian Danielson and Lethal are the top two wrestlers I've ever been in the ring with. They're the top two wrestlers I've ever seen. Um, I've been in the ring with Nigel, Roderick Strong, you know, uh, the Bucks. I, I could name everybody. I could name so many people. Uh, so I've been really lucky to be a part of, of this, but also, you know, have those moments that just, I'm the, I'm the guy who's closest to, to the action than anyone else. Like I'm right in the ring with them. And I'm watching as a fan most of the time. I'm just also doing the job at the same time. But I'm, I'm still a fan of this. So to be able to get, be a part of all these things is, is great. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned that Taven Lethal match, which uh, I, I agree with you 100%. That was uh, one of the best matches I've, I've ever seen. Um, just watching it as a fan, it was incredible. I, I've talked to both Taven and Lethal about it on this podcast. And, uh, and we talked about how it's not like you could tell right away, you know, sometimes when somebody, when when it's going to be a match that goes 60, you can tell by the way they pace themselves early on. And that was absolutely not the case with this match because they started hot and they, you know, me sitting there watching it, knowing that it's going to go 60. I'm like, Oh my God, how how are they going to keep this up? But let me ask you as as a referee, because this is interesting. Like I asked both of them about 
preparing when you know you're going to go 60 from a referee standpoint, is it any different for you when you know, like, all right, this isn't going to be 15 minutes or 20 minutes. This is 60. It, no, it actually isn't just for some, you know, it's kind of strange, but I, I just approach, I think I approach every match pretty much the same other than if I was, if I was, if I was going to get bumped in a match, that would be a, a little bit different preparation just so I could get my head around the, the proper positioning. So I'm, I'm where they need to be if I'm going to get bumped. But aside from that, no, if, if, if I'm going five minutes or, or, or 60, there isn't much different that I do going into it. It's just, you know, I want to be, do my part. I want to do everything I can to help with their, the story they're telling and just be there for every moment. Taven told me a funny story about it. He said, uh, I don't remember the specific number that he said, but it was like he and Jay were, you know, the match started and they were doing their thing. And he said to you, like, man, where are we at? Like 15 minutes or whatever. And you were like, no, five. <laughs> remember that? I, I don't remember that, but okay. it, it sounds pretty, it sounds pretty right on. Right. I think that's awesome. All right. We're going to take another quick break and then we'll be back with more of this interesting discussion with ROH senior referee Todd Sinclair. Ring of Honor presents the best Dungeons and Dragons on the planet with Joe Hendry as Mega, the singing sensation, Beer City Bruiser as Maynard, Dwarven Cleric of Ale, Session Marth Martina as Thea, Roller Malonis as Ander the Bold Barbarian, and Cheeseburger as Santee. Together, these wrestlers become heroes. Join these stars and more for Role Play of Honor. We're back on the RRH Strong Podcast. My guest is senior referee, Todd Sinclair. Todd, you mentioned a lot of the big names in Ring of Honor that you've been in the ring with. Uh, one of those is uh, obviously Brian Danielson. Do you have any interesting Brian Danielson stories to tell? Uh, I mean, I, I have a lot actually, but I, there's one, uh, there's actually two. Let me, bring, let, me, let me bring up two. The first one is actually the first time I ever refed for Brian. Um, it was... I had been a fan of watching Brian's stuff. Like I had seen stuff in, on tapes, um, but I had never gotten a chance to referee for him for a good amount of time while I was still, you know, I first started here. I don't know the date, but it was, the, the show was called Testing the Limit. And it was Brian Danielson against Austin Aries. And it was coming off, they had done um, the survival of the fittest maybe a month or two previous to this. So this is coming the, kind of the rematch because I think they were the final two so the match was uh two out of three falls and it was in I, like the Ramada in Philly like a little small ballroom and uh I was such a fan of Brian I actually was kind of nervous like oh man I'm gonna I'm gonna get to referee for Brian and then Gabe came to me and said hey look this match uh it's two out of three falls you're only gonna do the second fall I'm like, oh, well, okay, that seems kind of weird. Uh, I, like, is there a reason why? He goes, don't, don't worry about it, Brian, we'll tell you. So uh, a little bit later on, I you know, went up to Brian and, and you, know, you kind of go up and ask, okay, what do I need to know? What is the finish? That's stuff that, you know, just typical stuff you would ask wrestlers. And uh, so I asked him, what's the finish of the second fall? I'm doing the second fall. He said, oh, it's, there isn't. It's a time limit. Like, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, we're, we're going to do two out of three falls, time limit draw, 
for the first fall, one hour. Time limit draw for the second fall, one hour. And then the finish is going to be 55 minutes in. So they had planned to do a two hour and 55 minute match on testing the limit. Now the match is famous and it went like 75, like the, the, the match actually, you know, it's a, it's a really important match in the history of Ring of Honor, right. uh, but it, it didn't go the three hours that it was originally planned for. And I don't know why they changed that. Um, but at, so I'm in the back, the first, you know, the match starts, I'm in the back waiting. I'm like, okay, well I got an hour. Like, well, I'll just hang out, wait for my, you know, I hear the bell and then I'll go out for the second fall. Um, now I don't know how long they went, but I hear one, two, three ding. And I'm like, uh Oh, what the hell happened? <laughs> so now I realized, okay, they've, they've caught it called an audible. They just, they, there was no, re you know, they weren't going to do the three hours. So now I'm going out there first. I, I have to like realize who won the first fall. Oh no. Who won the first fall? Because obviously this one's going to go to three. So I need to know who, who's going to win the second fall. And I don't know how it's going to happen. Now it's easy to say, Oh, when the shoulders are down, you count three, but you know, okay, that's, that's good in theory, but I want to, you know, do my best to have false finishes. So if I know it's not the false, uh, I can bring it tight. So it, you know, add some drama to the match. So now I'm going out there. I have no idea what the finish is going to be for the second fall. First time I've ever refereed Brian. I'm nervous already. So I go out there and I'm trying to communicate to them and they won't tell me because they don't know. They probably don't know. They're just going to call it. Right. So the whole second fall that I ref, and I don't know how long it went. It didn't go the hour. I was nervous as hell the entire time until the three count happened. I counted three when I was supposed to count three because the shoulders didn't come up and I made it through that moment. But that was a like a freaky moment. And like to think that they were going to go three hours, that's insanity. And the match probably started at like 1030. So they were going to go to like 130 in the morning, but they didn't do it. But it would have been an amazing thing if they had done it. Like who would people have gotten up and left? Could people fall asleep? You know, like, what was what is going to happen in this three hour match? But that was the original plan for that match. Um, yeah, that's so that was pretty cool. Hear, that, that's like when you hear about the old days when like George Hankenschmidt and Carl Gotch would or like Ed Strangler Lewis would wrestle for like eight hours or something. <laughs> right, right, right. That's a three hours. It is wow. That is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just one one quick other story for Brian. Uh, yeah. His match with Kenta, and I have no idea what year this was but he was the world champ ryan was the world champ and he was defending against kenta in new york and previously to this brian had separated his shoulder in a match i think against cabana in chicago so ryan's now fighting through a major separated shoulder injury to keep the belts and to keep the story going because it was eventually going to lead to a match of final battle with homicide so he's um He's getting ready in the back for his match with Kenta, and his everybody knows his shoulders screwed up. I knew I knew his his shoulders messed up. He goes, "Look, I told Kenta to kick my my shoulder as hard as he can for this whole match. So what I need you to do is, if I am in so much pain that I don't remember that I'm actually ref I'm actually wrestling this match, I just need you to remind me." To, to do what I'm doing and to sell. I go, well, you're not going to have to be reminded to sell because you're going to kick your arm off. 
Um, but if, I'll do whatever I can to help you. But yeah, in, in that match, if you go back and watch it, and that's another classic. I, that's one of my favorite matches. Um, yeah, Brian purposely had Kenta kick the shit out of his arm on purpose for however long that thing went. Uh, and he was just, he was just, Brian was just, he still is. I mean, he's just dedicated to, to pro wrestling and, and telling stories. And, and he felt that was the way to do it in that match. I thought that was a, a crazy thing for him to ask me and to, and to actually offer up his arm to get kicked like that by Kenta. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and the pressure, both of those stories really illustrate to me, um, man, that was a lot of pressure for you in both those situations. And it also illustrates that I think sometimes maybe fans think refereeing, maybe it, it, it's, uh, it, it looks easier than it is. Um, I've refereed some on the indie level, um, and, and it really is. There's a lot more to it. And, and obviously, you know that way more than I do. But there's so many intricacies of it in being a referee. It's not just counting uh, the shoulders down. Um, I mean, can you just talk a little bit about, like, all the things that you have to be cognizant of when you're in there? Yeah. I mean, for, for me, and, and it's, this is for what we've done since we, I started Ring of Honor being a DVD company, but now we're on national television you know, with all the Sinclair stations and live pay-per-views, um, you've got to be aware of, of cameras, uh, very, very aware position-wise, so you're not blocking the camera. The last view a person at home wants to see is me sliding in the camera view and, and my big butt blocking everything in the way just so I could do a three-count. Um, so you've got to be aware of cameras. Um, communication in the ring uh, is really important with the wrestlers and it doesn't always have to be verbal. Like, it, you know, it, a lot of it is physical and that's, that's why I learned how to wrestle. Like I can tell by their body language where they're going to go and what they're going to do. So uh, it's important for me to, to be aware of, of that stuff. So I'm not in the way or if I'm in, I'm in a better position for something. Um, time cues are important uh, in, in ring of honor, <clears throat> you know, it's, we have earpieces, but it's, you know, and most of it is, is to help us with the time because we have to be off the air at a certain time on a pay-per-view or something like that. So I, I'm helping with that. Like, like you said, Taven had said five minutes, we're in five minutes. So that's the stuff I, I communicate with them. Yep. Um, and then also helping with injuries. You know, if, if a guy is, you know, really hurt or if they need a little bit of time, sometimes, sometimes a guy will, will get hit and take a bad fall outside the ring. And I'll, I'll ask him like, Hey, do you want to quit? You know, cause that's the referee thing to do, but he'll tell me, Hey, look, tell, tell my opponent, I need, a, I need a second. Give me a, I need a breather. Give me a second. So I, I can communicate between them there. Um, so th th there's just a lot of things to, to, it's a lot of moving pieces and it's a lot of stuff that you got to think on the fly. And the most important thing for me uh, when it comes to thinking on the fly is like, I want to react to things. I don't want to go by an A to Z script. And that most matches aren't like that. Most matches aren't, hey, we're going to do this from this, from the bell to the finish, we're going to do A through Z. Uh, but sometimes we'll plan things ahead. I don't ask anything ahead of time other than the finish, unless I need to know something else. Uh, I like to react. So I don't know what they're going to do. That, that Taven lethal match, I maybe knew two or three things that were going to happen. Other than that, for 60 minutes, I, I'm just going to react. And that's, to me, that's, that's an important thing because I don't want to make it look like I'm telegraphing things or make it look like, okay, this is just part of the script. Like it's, cause it's not, this is, 
this is what we do. And, and it, a lot of it is improv and feel. And that's important to me is to feel moments. So I mean, that's a lot of different things that I, that I do when I rap. Well, you mentioned the injury aspect of it. Uh, were you the ref when, uh, when PCO did, I don't remember what show or what, uh, where we were at, but I, I know, that. I know what you're going to say Atlanta. Okay. When did he, that head when, first he, when he went head first, yes, he went head first into the floor. I was absolutely the referee. Okay. And I mean, was your instinct to like, okay, you know, put up the old X and let's get out of here. Like this is, we got to yeah, call and, off. And I, I was begging, I, I don't know if the cameras picked it up because I think that match was on television. I don't know if the, the cameras probably didn't pick it up, but I was begging Carl. I go, Carl, I, I need you to, to stop and go to the back. Like in, it was a tag match. So Brody could, could have done the match, you know, two on one and they could work it out. Um, but I was begging Carl to stop and he, he wouldn't, he, he just, he wouldn't, he wouldn't listen. Like, you know, it was just one of those things where there was adrenaline or he has a pride that he wants to do what he's going to do. Uh, but yeah, I was begging him. And he's, he's got this gash in his head. Yeah. Like you could, Oh man, it was huge. Like you could see right through it. <laughs> and he, he just wouldn't, he just wouldn't listen and stop. And I'm, I'm begging him, Carl, please go to the back and let somebody, because somebody look at you and I'm waving people over, take Carl back. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. Yeah. He's um, probably the last person in the world who would say, okay, yeah, let's just call this off. I'll go to the back. Yeah. He's, he's, I mean, he is an amazing, like so the stuff he does is, is he's a amazing. Freak. He's, he's a freak is right. Like he's a freak of nature. And it's, I'm glad we have him on our team because he's an amazing, amazing person and amazing performer, but absolutely the stuff he does is insanity. Well, I, I don't want my next question. And obviously I don't want you to name names unless you want to, but are there any wrestlers over the years who you didn't enjoy refereeing their matches for, for whatever reason? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to get into names, but yeah, there are there times, there are times when I'm in the ring and it's uh, like, Oh man, I, am I in the match with this guy? Did I really, I'm the one who assigns the referees like, damn, why did I assign myself, myself this match? I don't want to do that. Um, yeah, there, there are a handful, not many, because a lot of people in our, luckily in our sport, a lot of people are, are, are great people and fun people to be with. And, and I enjoy what they do. But yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a small handful that I apologize that I'm not going to name any names. But No, yeah, no, that's okay. People. That's understandable. Well, I mean, just if you could give, without giving any names away, obviously, is it, was it just because they were difficult to work with or they made your job more difficult? Any? Yeah, that's sometimes. And some, sometimes people are just a-holes. Yeah. Like some people <laughs> like, be like, I don't, I, I could, I could do nothing. I want nothing to do with this person, whether it's backstage or in the ring, like this guy's gotcha. a jerk. So. Gotcha. Have you ever had to count a pin that wasn't the finish because they didn't get their shoulder up in time or, this is another, this is one of my quick referee stories. One of the first times I was refereeing, refereeing on the indie circuit in MCW, Maryland Championship Wrestling, we have a 10 count, not a 20 count. And yeah. guys were fighting on the outside and I'm getting to like seven, eight, they're still fighting. They're not paying any attention to me. Nine, they're still not paying any attention to me. And I literally just had to stop counting and then jump out and hey guys, get back in the ring. Has that ever happened where like we have the 20 count you're like 18, 19. These guys aren't getting back in. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, but I've never, I've never pulled the trigger on the twenty. I've done the same thing as you. Okay. Um, I and it's, you know, you could say, oh, these are the rules. These are the rules of pro wrestling. You got to follow them to the T. Um, but I, I just kind of don't agree with that. Shoot, shooting a twenty count on the floor to a guy just because, um, you know, it's on them to not listen. I agree. They're like they should listen. I'm being loud enough for them to to pay attention. Right. But I don't, I also, I don't want to dictate the story that maybe the booker is trying to tell the, you know, or the, or things. I, I don't want to be the guy um, to completely ruin a, somebody's plan. And right. it's like I said, some people, some people might not agree with it. Like, Oh, you, you should count the 20. They should listen to you. And that's fine. That's your opinion. But yeah, I wouldn't shoot that on them. Um, on a three count. I mean, if you don't get your shoulders up, I should, I'm counting three and I have in the past, but there's also times, where my false finishes are so tight and I try to make them so tight that a person won't count up, won't kick out and I'll actually pull it. And it's the worst feeling in the world. It's the worst feeling to count two and nine, nine, you know, 0.99 and the person didn't count, kick out and it should have been the three. Um, so I've been in both situations and, and I, I prefer if the guy doesn't get his shoulders up, I'm hitting three, but sometimes I'm just trying to make it so close and so tight that naturally my, my arm is stopping at the very last second and I screw everything up. And then, well, yeah. And if you, if you, you don't want to, like you said, kill the finish, you know, the finish, you don't want to go against what the booker wants and you get to that 2.99, they don't kick out and you have to sort of hold up, and the fans, our, our fans are so smart, they immediately start chanting, that was three, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, but I will say the fans say that was three a lot of times when it wasn't three. And That's my, true, too. My fault is very close where I can tell. I wish I could get a Jimmy Hart megaphone and say that was not three. <laughs> but there, there have been times, specific matches, that it was absolutely three and I should have hit three and I, I screwed up. Let me ask a specific question about the Young Bucks, because you mentioned them earlier. Obviously, a great tag team. One of my favorite teams to watch. Obviously, huge stars in the business. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess their matches had to be a challenge. As a guy who's the law and order in there and trying to enforce the rules, they basically made tagging in it. I mean, it was a tag match in name only, right? I mean, do you just kind of throw your hands up in the air like, all right, tags don't – I don't know who the legal man is. They're not going to tag. They're going to come in and out at will. And like, did that drive you crazy? Or is it just like, all right, this is just is what it is. Um, I mean, it's uh, first thing I will say is it's not only the bucks. So I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair to just single them out because there are plenty of tag teams over the years that have done that. Um, And I, I could name a whole plethora of them, Um, but it is, it is very aggravating. Just because, um, and I, like, I don't want to referee this as a shoot. I want to referee this as an enhancement to your match. That's my point of, of being in there. Um, but if it's just thrown out, totally thrown out the window, um, it, it, is, it is aggravating as far as, like, even, you know, in my mind, as the stuff's going on, I'm like, oh, like, you could have just added a tag right in here, and this would have made it, like, so much different than the, the experience that we're having right now. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I wish a lot of, a lot of tag teams would concentrate more on taking the rules that, that are part of the match and, and, 
putting in into the match or to make it a better experience overall. Um, and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Some teams are better at it than others. Um, but, I mean, most of the time it's just like, I mean, what am I going to do? <laughs> right. I, I, think the, I, think the last, I think the last thing the fans want, you know, you've, you've got 1,500 people that paid for a ticket watching this exciting match that's going crazy. I think the last thing those people want, even though they'll complain, hey, ref, he's in there forever. If I threw it out and disqualified someone for a five count, I, I think people's money's worth would be like, they would be really, really pissed. And right. I don't think that would, I don't think that would be good either. So no. oh, yeah. I, wish, I do wish people would have it. Yeah. Could you imagine the bucks are in there doing all this great stuff and then and you count to five and throw the match out right in the middle. Right. Right. I could do it to them. I could do it to, you know, yeah. I could do it to the red dragon. I could do it to the, right. you know, whoever. Right. You're right. It's not just the bucks. It's just, I think uh, because they were so hot, you know, at, at one point, and literally every match was just like, all right, there's just, you know, it's the same for the announcers too. Like you just have to be like, okay, uh, senior referee Todd Sinclair is showing a lot of latitude <laughs> with the ref. Right, right. Yeah. And they've got to, they've got to cover it up with right. words. And... So let me ask you this. Uh, one of the tropes obviously in pro wrestling uh, is the ref bump and you've, you've certainly taken your share. Have you ever gotten hurt, like legit hurt taking a bump? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and not, not, mon- not many, luckily, um, uh, but a couple uh, that stick out. There was um, a fight without honor, Kevin Steen against El Generico in New York. Final battle, maybe. I don't remember. But I think it was the match that Steen had to leave Ring of Honor for a period. So uh, the, the week before, I actually went up to Montreal to a, um, a Bruins game against the Montreal Canadiens with El Generico. So I went up, I drove up to Montreal. We went to this show and it was crazy because he wears his mask at the uh, hockey game too. It was crazy. <laughs> but uh, I'm t- we're eating after the, after the, after the game and uh, we're talking about the match. And he, you know, he is saying like how crazy he wants it to be. And, you know, these are the things that he wants to do. And I'm like, Hey, look, and I brought this up to him, which is probably stupid of me, but I, you know, did it anyway. Like, look, I do this bump and I had done it. I'd never done it in ring of honor, but I had done it on the Indies um, where I take a nasty plunge from the apron. I get kicked off the apron and I take a back bump like Cactus Jack to the floor. Um, And I, so I suggested like, Hey, look, this is a big match. This, this bump really, really, really hurts, but I'm, I'm willing to do it for you. So this is what I can do. And uh, they said, well, we, we, you know, he said, well, we were actually thinking of that, but instead of that, we were going to put you through a table. <laughs> so, okay. Well, to me, going through a table is probably a lot less painful because it'll break my fall instead of taking a flat back bump onto the, onto the floor. Absolutely. So, so during the match, they set up the tables earlier in the match, and when they were setting it up, whatever happened, one of the legs broke. So now – I know I have to take this bump later on in the match onto this table and one of the legs bro- broke. So the leg, so the table is, you know, 45 degrees or whatever the proper geometrical degrees is uh, on the floor. So the time comes, take the bump and the, the table is far away from the ring. So I know I have to launch myself to, to when I get kicked to go through this table. 
So Generico, Steen moves, Generico does the Yakuza kick to me. I take the back bump. And when I did it, I jumped so far, tried to jump so far that I turned my body. And when I came down, I landed right on my elbow. Oof. So uh, I, the, you know, the bump went fine as far as the table broke. I made it, but I screwed up my elbow pretty bad that night. I didn't need surgery. I've, luckily, I've never had a surgery. But uh, I still have issues with my elbow here and there from that specific bump. Yeah, that's that's a that's a tough one right there. That's a tough bump to take. Uh, man, the, as soon as I would have saw, seen the table at the at the forty five degree angle, I would have been, uh, yeah, thinking this is not going to end well for me. Most likely. Well, and, and the whole time I'm thinking, are they going to fix this? Are they going to get another table? So, yeah, no, right. they didn't. <laughs> well, last question I'm going to ask you before we get into our ten question segment is I really want to talk about your uh, relationship with the Ring of Honor fans because I think it's a unique one. Um, you've been around so long, 16 years. Like we said, you've been in so many matches. Everyone, uh, all of our fans know who you are, know your name. Um, and it, it seems like they like to tease you. They like to get on you at times. But it, it seems like it's all in good fun. Uh, you just talk about that a little bit, like what your relationship's like with the fans? Uh, I mean, I, I think most of the time it's in good fun. There are some people that are – pretty cruel out there and I can show you Twitter notifications of that but for the most part yeah it's, it's a it's it I think it's a fun thing where it's like there's, you know there's some buildings especially Atlanta like it's the come on Todd and, and kind of they ride me that way which is, yep. is, is is fine you know that's my role um, I I think the fans that we have are, are pretty amazing and, and the fans that we've had over all this time uh, they like I think the biggest thing is they like the pro wrestling that I like. Like the reason why I love pro wrestling, uh, love ring of honor is it's the pro wrestling that I like. Like that is the biggest thing about it. Um, so I, you know, you have that connection with, with these fans where it's, you know, <clears throat> they come to our shows and they, they have a good time and they, and they, they leave happy and, and, but they're, they're there for the same reason that I'm there. Like we want, we want to see and provide, you know, they want to see it. I want to provide it. But I also want to see it because I'm a fan in the ring. The, the, the best professional wrestling we can. So it's, to me, it's very exciting to, to have that connection with them. Um, I can say certain fans in New York are pretty cool to me. They, thankfully, it's died down a little bit. But there used to be a, a chant after I would yell a number, like, say, an account out. And they would say Twinkies, which <laughs> is a shot at my, at my belly. But... You know, I don't mind that as long as it doesn't take away from the match. And right. sometimes it takes away from the match, so it's, it's a little bit aggravating. But, uh, well, yeah, you're always going to have, whether it's people in a crowd or people on social media, you're always going to have your trolls. Uh, I think, yeah, yeah, we all have to deal with that. But, I, yeah, I do, I think, uh, for the most part, like, our fans are smart in general, and I think they understand that uh, – I think they appreciate – people that are good at what they do. And I think they know that what you're, that you're good, that you're good at what you do, just like they appreciate what Bobby Cruz does. And I think what Ian Riccoboni and Caprice Coleman do, like, I think it's, it's all, uh, you know, in some, in some companies, I don't think those people who have those roles necessarily are appreciated. They're more of the right. nameless, faceless variety, not so much the commentators, but referees, ring announcers. But I think our fans really do appreciate, and a lot of it's longevity too. Obviously you and Bobby have been around, your staples of the company. I mean, when you think of Ring of Honor, certainly uh, you're two of the guys we think of. Right, right. And I, I totally agree, for sure. Like, this, 
it's a it's a great relationship that we have with the, the fans because I, I don't do meet and greets like they don't put me on the meet and greet which is fine I don't want to be but when I do get to go out and just say hello to some of the fans like it's it's such a great experience like it's such a happy thing so it's, it's great to have that connection with people well speaking of happy things Todd we're going to take our final break and then what could be a more of a happy thing than playing 10 questions sounds good to me all right we'll be right back after this I'm Quinn McKay, your host of Ring of Honor Wrestling, and the new year brings tons of opportunities, including your opportunity to represent your favorite Ring of Honor star by wearing their merchandise, including me for some reason. So log on to ROHProShop.com now to get yours. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is senior referee Todd Sinclair. It is now time to play 10 questions. Todd, are you ready? I am. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. All right. Question number one. How often have you been asked if you're any relation to the Sinclair family that owns Sinclair Broadcast Group, ROH's parent company? It, it actually isn't very often, but when it does happen, it's it's kind of like epic when people do it like there there was one <clears throat> I, I won't name her i won't name her but but it was funny um we were up in toronto one show this is shortly after sinclair brought uh bought ring of honor from carrie silkin um and she was a manager on the indies she came up to me he's like oh you know congratulations like it's so amazing i'm like what are you talking about she's like you bought ring of honor i can't believe it good for you i'm like wow as much as I wish I did, and I, w- I wish I had the money to do such a thing, uh, sorry, I, I, I actually didn't do it. I thought that was funny when I was actually congratulated for, for being the new owner. Wow. Man, they pay the refs good, I guess. In the- yeah, right? Wow. All right, question number two. What's a subject you'd like to know more about? Uh, subject I'd like to know more about? Hmm. I know you know a lot about a lot, but what's something that you'd like to know more about that you're interested in and – I don't know. You'd like to maybe research a little more, or just know more. About. You know, you, you, well, you know what? I, actually, this is kind of in the news because uh, recently, like, um, they there was like an asteroid coming towards the Earth. So, like, they're like, "Oh, this is a headline on one of the websites on the news site." Like, "Oh, there's an asteroid coming near the Earth." And like, "Oh my! Like, what? What could go worse than all the quarantine we have and everything else that's going on in this world? What could be worse than an asteroid?" And it's like. Oh, and it's going to be 300 million miles away when it comes by. What? Why is that a big deal? Right. Um, but I would, I, I actually would kind of, I should probably get into something like that. Cause it, it's kind of interesting. Like the, the stuff that's outside of our universe, like they'll, you know, again, they'll, they'll put a, a something out there like, Oh yeah, we saw this, this universe out, you know, light years away that has time travel or something like that. And you just see these little stories, but they're not big deals. So I would be interested in, in, I would be interested in researching that. Now, I don't think there's life on other other planets, but I, I do think it's kind of interesting that there's other things out there and, and what, what they are. So I should probably research that stuff. That'd be interesting. But you know, I have to, I do think there could be life on other planets, Todd. Certainly we can't be the only intelligent life. I, your opinion is, is certainly valid. I have no, nothing against your opinion. I just, okay. I just don't think it. All right. Well, I, I brought the, I've made this joke before. Some could argue that there's not intelligent life on this planet. <laughs> All right. Question number three. 
what person, living or dead, would you like to have a conversation with? Hmm. Uh, let me think about that. Yeah, that's, that's a strange one. You know, actually, I'm going to say David Manning because I have never met him. Okay. And I would, actually, I would actually like to meet David Manning and talk to David Manning. Okay, fair enough. This is an easier one. Uh, pretty straightforward. Question four. Are you typically early, late, or on time? I am so early. There is not much in this world I hate more than being late. I hate it. The guys I ride with, uh, I get heckled. Like if we run into a problem on, on the road going from town to town and we're going to be late, I get heckled by everybody in the, in the van that we're late because I hate it so much. So I am early as much as possible. All right. Very good. Question five. Are you a dog person, a cat person, both or neither? I am 100% a dog person. I despise cats. I think cats are a-holes. I think they're <laughs> selfish. Um, and whenever I'm, we're on, a, I'll play hockey on Xbox with Bobby Cruz and we'll use the headsets and he'll say, oh, oh, my cat's here. I go, oh, oh, there, there's the a-hole. Uh, I can't stand cats. And just... I think part of it might be because I'm allergic to them and I never had any attachment to them. Yep. Um, I'm allergic to actually most dogs, but dogs with hair like poodles and Yorkies, I can be around. Um, but I'm a way a hundred percent a dog person and not a cat person. Yeah. I'm with you. Do dogs are great. Cats, not so much. All right. Question number six, do you cook? And if so, what's your specialty? I do not cook hardly at all the the extent of what i would cook is uh i made scrambled eggs this morning and that was a once in a month thing i i refuse you know to cook anything that would take any effort as far as time or cleaning up or any of that stuff that's i'm not a fan so i'm i'm microwave as, as much as possible yeah i i certainly identify with that as well all right question seven what's something that's popular that you just don't see the appeal of? Hmm. Popular that I don't see the appeal of. Man, I'm so, I think I'm so out of touch with what's going on in, in the pop <laughs> culture world. Um, like I, yeah, I'm st I think I'm stumped on this. Okay. Uh, right. I, I just don't have an answer. I'm sorry. All right. Well, uh, I mean, some people might say like, you know, reality shows or that kind of thing, but. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm into that stuff. I'm, uh, Are you? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, I like watching Survivor. I've watched every season of Survivor since it's been on. I'm a big fan. Okay. All right. Well, I tried to feed you an answer there, but okay. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Yeah. You I like just, that stuff. I'm, I'm not going to, I don't judge. Okay. <laughs> Question number eight. Who is your favorite TV or movie character of all time? I know what your favorite movie is because you, you answered it on uh, the ROH week by week. Although I honestly don't remember what you said now that I think about yeah. it. Well, I, I had two. I couldn't choose. I couldn't choose. So, but it was Shawshank Redemption or Revenge of the Nerds. That's right. That's right. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe my favorite character is, is Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. I, I, <laughs> okay. It's a classic. You know who's awesome too is... Uh, I, I, I hope I'm not getting his name wrong. Leo from uh, The Matrix. 
Okay. Keanu Reeves character. Yes. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of him. He was cool. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't big into the Matrix movies, but yeah, I can I can see that. I wasn't a big fan in the in the sequels. I couldn't get into the sequels, but that first movie is fantastic. Yeah, the, I agree. I agree. First one's good. Like with a lot of franchises, first one's good, and then, eh, you know, who yeah. knows after that. Okay, question number nine. DC or Marvel? Uh, I'm, I'm only going to say Marvel because it's what I know the most of, but I, I'm actually not a big comic book guy. Um, I like watching the movies, but I'm so out of touch with the characters that when I went and saw the um, Heath Ledger, he did the Joker, right? Yes. When I went and saw that movie, that Batman movie, and Harvey Dent becomes Two-Face, spoiler alert, <laughs> I actually had no idea that Harvey Dent eventually would become Two-Face. That's how out of touch I am with comic book characters. And I, I have no, like, I, I love, like, the stories, and I like the, when I play the video games of Batman or the watch all the movies. I just never got into any of the, the, the comic book stuff and the stories to, to remember that Harvey Dent became Two-Face. Okay. All right. So that could be the answer to a previous question, something that's popular that you don't necessarily see the appeal of. Yeah, maybe comic books. Yeah, but I, I do like the movies. Those movies are entertaining. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right. Well, we've made it to the end. Question number 10. This is actually my favorite question of these 10 questions this week. If you, <laughs> I don't know if I can even say this without laughing. Oh, there we go. But <laughs> which we know, everybody knows, I think that you and Bobby Cruz have a friendship, right? So which classic TV pair best describes your relationship with Bobby Cruz? Felix and Oscar, Starsky and Hutch, or Fonzie and Richie? I mean, it's, it's absolutely Felix and Oscar, an odd couple. That's um, what I thought you were going to say. It's, got, it's absolutely that. We are uh, so different. We're good friends, but we're so different. Um, a lot, so many things that Bobby Cruz does, I just aggravate the crap out of me. <laughs> um, every, just so, so many ways he does things. He's, he just he's a selfish person other than with his family, his kids, he's not selfish with his kids, but everybody else he runs into he is so selfish <laughs> and it drives me bonkers. He loves to be late, which going off the question earlier, I hate, I, I hate, hate, hate being late. He, he'll show up. If the show's at seven o'clock, he'll show up at six thirty if he could. Um, it's like, we're just complete opposites, but opposites attract because he's a, he's a good, he's a, a good friend, um, and I've enjoyed all the time that I've spent with him over the last, you know, 16 years, and hopefully another 16 years after this. But yeah, we are so different; it's crazy. I have a feeling if I asked him the question, he might say Fonzie and Richie, with himself being Fonzie, of course. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm the I'm the, I'm the little tag along. It's, right. It's all I about, think he yeah. might he might see it that way. I don't know. He might. He totally might. All right. Well, Todd, thanks so much for being uh, so gener generous with your time today, telling us great stories. This is really awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. This is a really, really good time. Cool. And thanks to all of you for listening. Keep it locked on to ROHwrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor on Facebook. For news of when and where future episodes of the ROH Strong Podcast will be available. Stay safe, everyone. And let's all be ROH strong. Right.